0: Well, good morning. morning. Okay, we'll try that again. I know it's a school week and everybody's a little bit tired. Get back into the groove. Good morning. Good morning. Good, good. I hope everybody had a great week, as uh, Eddie kind of alluded to. We're in this series, Kind Words are Cool. And if you're a guest this morning, we don't usually, or I don't usually, dress this casually. But uh, we've got this t-shirt. is just kind of an extra visual to kind of remind everybody about... Uh, you know, being kind and saying kind things. So as the weather gets a little bit cooler, below, we'll, uh, kind of go back to the corral, back to the way that uh, I normally dress. But you are welcome to dress any way you want, and we're we're glad that you are here. So when I was on vacation, I was uh, sitting there one evening, just kind of twiddling my thumbs, and there next to the to the this the sofa there, there was an end table, and it had some Reader's Digest on it, and I. I haven't read any Reader's Digest in a long time. So I grabbed one and kind of picked it up. And there was a story in there, a real short story, that kind of reminded me of what we're talking about this particular week and in this series. Just how sometimes you say something, and as soon as you say it, you just kind of wish you could pull it back, hit the rewind button or something. So I wanted to share that with you. It's just real short, but I think you'll find it humorous. It says, At the outpatient surgery center where I work, the anesthesiologist chats with patients before their surgery to just kind of relax them. One day, he thought he recognized a woman who was his patient as a coworker from the VA hospital where he did his residency. When the patient confirmed that his hunch was correct, the anesthesiologist said, So tell me, is the food there still as bad as it used to be? I suppose, she replied, I'm still the head cook. <laughs> and Isn't that the way it goes sometimes? You, you know, we talked about asking someone if they're pregnant last week and they're not. And you just want to hit the rewind button and, and, you know, pull those words back? So we're in this series, and we kind of established last week that our words are powerful, and that our words do carry weight, and the words that are spoken to us and about us and over us, they shape us, and they form us, and, and to some degree they make us who we are. And like when we look in the mirror, the things that have been said about us shape how we see ourselves. And to some extent they affect the direction and the quality of our lives and also our families and our families' lives and it matters about self-esteem and confidence and a lot of that kind of stuff comes from the words powerful words that are spoken to and about and over us and so last week we looked at James chapter 3 kind of you know the the cornerstone passage in some ways about our words and we looked at that and and when we got done it was just kind of like this this terrible thought because James just kind of drops it there at the end is like Gloom, doom, and good luck because I don't know what to tell you because you're always going to struggle with your mouth is what James tells us. Like, you're never going to mature out of having to worry about what you say. You're never going to reach a point in your life where you kind of graduate and go, "Oh, I got that behind me. I don't have to worry about that anymore. He says, that's not going to happen. Your entire life, you're going to have to watch your mouth and what you say. And he talked about animals and how we can tame and domesticate animals. He said you can't do that with your mouth. The rest of your life, and he kind of talks about how we're going to have to guard our mouth, how we're going to have to guard what we say. So we talked about James last week. This week we're going to look at another author in the New Testament. We're going to go over in Ephesians chapter 4 and look at some words that Paul has to say. And the book of Ephesians was written in the first century and it was written to the Christians that were there at Ephesus. And so he's going to kind of say some things and he's a little more practical than James. And he's not so, hey, I'm sorry, good luck with this kind of thing. He's a little more practical and he just gives us some pointers. And so we're just going to kind of dive in there. And as I was working on this sermon... I actually started in verse 17 and went through the end of the chapter. And I got done with it, and I realized I had like way too much material. I mean, like, I knew like it was all important and context and all that's important. And like, I really felt like I needed to share it all with you. And then I also realized that like y'all were leaving at 1 o'clock, whether I was done or not. So I actually scaled it back considerably, and we'll be done in plenty of time. Not even close to 1 o'clock. Maybe, you know, 1245, whatever. i just kidding. <laughs> Twelve ish but uh, anyway, God, I lost my train of thought. But anyway, so he's, he's going to give us some, some some kind of very practical stuff, and I do want to kind of set the context. So I'm just going to kind of go over briefly because the verses preceding where we're really going to hunker down in verse 29, the verses that precede verse 29 and following are really important because they kind of set the context for what he's saying. So I'm going to start in verse 17, we're not going to look at all the verses, but just kind of kind of set the context here. Verse 17 says, and if you have it in your Bible, I'm in mean, Ephesians 4, 17. Words are also be on the screen behind me. He says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So he's writing to these Christians. They're not Jewish Christians, but they're, they're, they're Gentile Christians. And he says, I'm writing to you, this group of people here in Ephesus, and they are kind of struggling with this. How do I follow Jesus based on the way that I was raised as a pagan? Because Jesus is them to them. So how do they follow? That's kind of the question they're struggling with. How do I follow Jesus based on the way that I was raised? And so he's going to start talking to them about their worldview and how it's different and how as a believer of Jesus, their lifestyle ought to look different. And not it shouldn't be the same worldview they had before they accepted Christ or the pagan worldview. So we have to ask ourselves, well, what is that view? We kind of talks a little bit more in verse 18. They, so he's talking about verse 18, that group you used to belong to, you're believers now, so you're not part of them anymore. But they, that group that you used to be a part of, they are darkened in their understanding. And they're separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is due to the hardening of their hearts. You know how to put that in just simple English? They don't get it. They, those pagan believers, they don't get it. What is it that culture was raised in? Well, they were raised in the in the Greek gods and the and the Roman gods, and they were polytheistic, which means you know they had all kinds of gods they believed in many gods and a pantheon of gods many gods so they had all these gods and you may remember from from middle school literature or high school literature or college english literature whatever you know studying about some of these gods and it's just kind of crazy stuff to be honest sometimes i mean they toyed with each other and they toyed with humans and they would gods would marry each other but then they would also marry humans sometimes and And they would have baby gods, and then maybe sometimes baby gods would be cut up, and they would form different pieces of the earth, and just kind of crazy stuff. But here's the thing about these many gods that they had. All of those gods were always about themselves. They were always about themselves. So that produces this mindset and man that, that lived in that kind of culture that it was all about me and whatever I could get. So it's kind of a, a me first type of culture. It's like every man for himself. And notice I didn't mention every man and woman because women didn't really matter. They didn't have any rights, so to speak. So right was determined by who was powerful, who was mighty. That's how you determine right. And so, it was just bad luck to be poor. It was bad luck to be born a woman. It was bad luck to be conquered. Because it was a winner-take-all world. That's how the gods operated. So that's how man operated. And so Paul is talking to these ex-polytheists. He said, that world that you came from, You need to be different from that world. You need to be different from this world where it's all about what you can get and who you can step over and all about yourself. And so in verse 20, he says, that, however, so he's fixing the contrast. That, that that other way, contrast here, is not the way of life that you've learned. That, That greedy step all over people, get what you can get, that's not it. And then he goes on to say, when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put your old self, which is being corrupted, by deceitful desires. You were a polytheist and you were worshiping all those those crazy gods. But now you're not supposed to do that anymore. Remember I talked to you about that. Put off your old self. Like a big heavy coat. You need to take it off. You need to get rid of that. Don't do that anymore. And he uses kind of a, a, a key phrase here. He says, he ends the verse with deceitful desires. Do you know what a deceitful desire is? A deceitful desire is a, is a desire that you have that promises you one thing and then doesn't fulfill the desire. Have you ever chased a desire like that? You had a desire, you chased it, you you finally kind of reached the desire, so to speak, and then it turned out not to fulfill its promise. That ever happened to you? That's a deceitful desire. Maybe some examples of that. Maybe it was a car. You just knew if you ever got that car, that you know that would be the last like car you'd ever need. I mean, I mean like it, it was it sports car, maybe luxury whatever, a like big truck. And then like four or six months after you got it, it's like it's nice, but it's not exactly everything it was cracked up to be. Maybe it's a house, your dream home. Maybe it's it's a remodeled kitchen. Maybe it's climbing the corporate ladder. In years you just climbed up the corporate ladder, and then you finally got that position and you're just disappointed after a while. This is not what I thought it would be. Maybe it was a relationship. Man, that guy, right? I could just have a relationship with him or her. And then it happened. It's like, no, that's not it. It was a boat. Maybe it was a set of clubs that you just knew would take ten strokes off your golf game. and no, it didn't work. There could be a lot of different things. Maybe, maybe it's the, the newest, coolest electronic device. You know, the cell phone or the iPad or the, the computer. You just knew this was it. And six months later, they release another one. It's better and cooler than the one you have. That's a deceitful desire. And you know what deceitful desires do to us too? When they don't meet the expectations, the promise, you know what rattles around in our mind? Next time. Next time. Next time. That'll be it. The next thing. The next person. The next he or she. That'll be it. Paul says, no. No. Those are deceitful desires. As a Jesus follower, you are asked to take your mind off of that stuff and live a completely different life and think a completely different way. So that's how he sets all of this up in this this context here. He says, that's not the way to live anymore. You've accepted Jesus Christ. You are to live a different way. And so then he starts giving some very specific ways about behavior. And since we're kind of talking about words and speech, we're going to skip down to verse 29 where he gives the very first specific command to what we're talking about when he talks about words. So it says in verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The word talk there is actually the Greek word logos. You've probably heard that word a lot of times if you grew up in church. It simply means words. So instead of talk, you could say words. Let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. And then this word unwholesome is really kind of interesting. The word unwholesome in the Greek language usually referred to some other things. It referred to rotting, decaying, spoiled fish or rotting fruit or something that was deteriorating or this is really interesting, to smelly sandals. So it's just this idea of something very... something kind of stinky. And I kind of like the imagery of the the rotting fish. And and you could kind of play with this a little bit, and we could say this. If you are saying unwholesome things, then you have fish now. Fish now, right? And wouldn't that be kind of cool if we kind of adopted that around here? Like, you know, somebody starts saying being critical or being unnecessarily mean or something, and you've got a bad taste of fish mouth. Fish mouth, fish mouth. Because that's what he's talking about here. And isn't it kind of cool that he doesn't tell us to tell the truth? I mean, it's like even the pagans, even that pagan culture knew that you should tell the truth. It's like he sets another bar. He sets a whole other standard. It's not just about telling the truth, he says. It's about guarding your mouth so that nothing unwholesome comes out of your mouth. So he's kind of echoing what James said. Remember, James talked about guarding your mouth and guarding your speech because it's just something we just all struggle with. So he says, you need to guard your mouth against this unwholesome speech, unwholesome words. And you, I mean he's talking directly to you. You're in charge. I'm responsible for what I said. You are responsible for what you said, for being a fish mouth or not being a fish mouth. Kind of using this whole guard kind of idea. It's like as far as our mouth goes, we're the security guard so to speak. And in our mouth so to speak is the gate. I think everybody's been to a major event, especially since 9-11 or an airport, but but just a major event. And what do they do now? I mean, they search your purse and they search your backpack. And some of you won't let you take in backpacks. They search all kinds of things. Sometimes you have to go through a metal detector. So think about that image with, with your mouth. You're the security guard. And the unwholesome words are trying to get through the gate, so to speak. They're rushing the gate. And it's your job to check them. To make sure that, that, that these unkind, these, these bad words, these unwholesome words, this, these fish mouth, these rotting kind of derogatory terms, don't get out. It's our responsibility. And so he's been kind of negative about it. And then he's going to kind of turn to a positive. And here's what he says next. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So now he's kind of, he, he, he kind of frames this in a positive. And he starts talking about using positive terms. So now, think about it this way, going back to our security guard and our, and our, and our mouth being the gate kind of illustration. Obviously, you do want some words to get out, right? Right? I mean, you, you don't want to never say anything. But he says those words need to be words that build up. So after you check the backpack and after you check the purse and after they've gone through the metal predictor and you've figured out everything is good, then you let those words out. And what should those words look like? They should look like words that build people up. And he kind of uses this construction kind of idea. What is helpful for building others up? Let's be honest about this verse. Read it again. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So all my words need to be words that build other people up. Does that sound a little bit like pie in the sky to you? I mean, does it sound a little bit like got a ring to it of everybody needs to just love everybody kind of idea? I mean, it's polite and it's kind and it's (coughs) considerate and it's respectful and it's so Christian. So unproductive? I mean, can you really live like that? I mean, does that work in the workplace? I mean, you go in, maybe you're the boss and you're doing a a job performance. Hey, listen, would you pretty please show up for work more more than one day a week? I mean, does that work? Does that work when you're raising your kids? Johnny, please don't stuff any more raisins into your sister's mouth. She's joking. I mean, doesn't something like that need a little more urgency? Doesn't the workplace need a little, little firmness to it? But listen, Paul's not talking here just about being nice. If you're just thinking he's talking about being nice, you're not, you're not getting the whole thing. His point is, I want you to be helpful. Building up doesn't necessarily always mean that you're just going to say nice things. Sometimes you have to say the hard things. That's not talking about mean things or kind things, but sometimes the hard things. That's what he's saying here. And he uses this construction analogy. And so just imagine this building up idea that every conversation is a construction site. And your words, are the building materials. Every conversation. And as a Christian, your responsibility interfacing with other people that God loves is to consider that every single word that you say could be used to build the other person up. So when you leave the construction site, when you leave the conversation, they are better off for having had a conversation with you. Can you imagine what would happen to our families if that was the typical conversations in the house? Can you imagine what would happen to your marriage and my marriage if that was the standard for conversations in our marriages? Can you imagine what would happen in our churches if that was the standard by which we measured, engaged all of our conversations? Now, this is challenging sometimes because it's about other people. And, you know, we tend to want to talk a lot about ourselves, don't we? We tend to want our conversations to to be about us in some degree. Or at least if we're in the conversation, you know, we want people to see our point of view. We want to get our word in edgewise. We want people to know how smart we are. We want to get our little zinger in there, whatever, that we want them to hear, you know, our side kind of thing. So this is automatically you've got to put that step aside because it's about building up the other person. And Paul's saying that's what the pagans do. That's what society tells you. Be about yourself. He says, no, I'm saying it's not like that. That it needs to be about the other person and making the other person better. And then kind of spiritualize. Look at verse thirty. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So you see that, and your first reaction is, Now, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about words. What's this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, here's what, what he's saying here. He's saying simply, simply this. Don't say something to someone that God is going to say this. I can't believe here I am trying to build up this person and you use your words to undermine what I'm trying to do and instead of building, you're demolishing. That's a little tough to hear because you know what that means in practicality? That when I'm criticizing people, that when I'm being sarcastic, when I'm making passive aggressive comments when I'm ripping people I am really tearing down what God is building and that bothers him and it bothers him a lot did you ever think about it that way? that you're tearing down what God is building up and it's like Paul says and I know that there are some people in the audience that are going to struggle with this Because there there are some things in their life that they don't have very good control over. And so now he just kind of gets way up into our business and kind of goes to the root cause. You might think that he's kind of changing subjects, but he's not. He's kind of getting to the heart of the matter here. And he's going to kind of start talking about what we kind of do a lot of times. Like why do we let things escalate or we walk away from a conversation and we think to ourselves, why did I say that? What in the world was I thinking? And he says, if you're going to be a builder instead of a demolisher, you've got to get this right. You're going to have to deal with this. And so here it is in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness. And again, we're like, wait a second. How are we talking about words? Why are we talking about bitterness and malice and anger and all those things that are fixing to follow here? He says, bitterness. And there's, there's a little phrase here that kind of sheds some light on it. Get rid ready. of get ready. bitterness and then all those other things. The term get rid of, I think when we read this, we think, okay, what he's saying is stop bitterness. Stop getting angry. Stop this kind of stuff. But the word doesn't mean stop. It, it, the word means like to take your trash and take it out to the curb and leave it there. Just, just totally get rid of something. Like you're never going to see it again anybody remember when rollerblades were a thing Anybody in this audience you know like in you know like 1990s early 2000s like rollerblades were, were were the total totally the thing isn't it interesting how things come and go you know like rollerblades were hot there for a little while and then it was paintball guns and then it was airsoft guns for a little while and every once in a while the yo-yos make an appearance or those little clacker things that you would hold and i just remember a few years ago those spinner things whatever they were called everybody had to have one of those Well, late 90s, early 2000s, rollerblades were the deal. And having five kids, we had all kinds of rollerblades. I mean, they'd outgrow and there'd be more pairs and that kind of thing. Well, all those rollerblades have kind of sat in the garage on a couple shelves in my garage. There must be a dozen pairs of rollerblades. And uh, so my grandson, five years old, was here a couple weeks ago. And he saw those rollerblades and asked if he could put a pair on. So I pulled a, a pair off the shelf and Started trying to put it on his foot, and I started doing a little ratchet thing, and it broke. And it dry-rotted. So then I grabbed another one. He seems been sitting down there probably for 15 years. Same thing. It broke. So they were, they were, it was worthless. Grabbed another pair. Same thing. So then I just started grabbing them. Out of probably a dozen pairs, 11 of them, <coughs> all but one pair, was dry-rotted. And sit down there all totally worthless. So what did I do with them? Boxed them up, put some of them in a trash bag, put some of them in a box. Haul them up to the curb so that the next day when the trash van came by, they're gone. We're rid of them, never going to see them again. That's what Paul's talking about here. Get rid of bitterness. Totally get rid of it. Don't stop it. Haul it to the curb like you're cleaning out your mini warehouse, like you're cleaning out your garage, like you're cleaning out the closet. Get rid of it totally get rid of it. And the implication is if you're a builder, you can't have bitterness. And here's why. Because it's going to affect how you talk. It's going to affect the volume. It's going to affect your tone, your attitude, the content, the intent, everything you say. He says, get rid of bitterness. And this can be tough because do you know where a lot of bitterness comes from? It comes from a word that was spoken about us or to us or over us. You grew up in a home where you never heard anything positive. You grew up in a home where parents were always sarcastic. You grew up <laughs> in a home where even if they ever said anything that was not of positive, there was always like a barb to it. You know, you're playing the guitar okay, but boy, you used to be really, really terrible. I'm like, what? Why do you you say that? Why do you say you play the guitar good? Why do you have to, to throw in the negative there? That kind of idea. You grew up with that kind of thing. There was always sarcasm, always a bar. Maybe you were in a marriage before where, where you couldn't do anything right. and Words were used to put you down, and put you down, and put you down. And words that... Were, were taken from you that you should have been able to keep for yourself and your self-esteem was destroyed and your time and your reputation were ruined and, and you lost time, so to speak. And then you come into these new relationships. This is for all of us. You come into new relationships and you bring that, those scars and that shrapnel with you, the wounds from that shrapnel into the new relationship because of words that were spoken to you or about you or over you. And we bring that in and we're bitter about it. And it affects what we say and how we say it and the way we say it and the words we choose. And then sometimes we well, there's things that we refuse to say because of pride that affects all this. And people with bitterness, it's like they're trying to pay somebody back, but they can't pay back the person that did it. So they're going to pay somebody else back, so to speak. I hope that makes sense to you. You take it out in the new relationship even though they didn't do anything. This goes for parenting. It goes for grandparenting. It goes for marriages. You've got to deal with that bitterness. If you're a single parent, you've got to deal with it. Even remarriage, remarried, you've got to deal with it. If you're just a parent, you've got to deal with it. Paul says this is a big deal. You can't be a builder if you're bitter. So give rid of he of some other things Anger, rage, and brawl And all that yelling and all that screaming That you do He says get rid of all of it Malice, all of that stuff Take it up to the curb, leave it there Get rid of it Get rid of all those words that are disrespectful And demeaning and degrading You know what it means to demean somebody? It means to communicate You don't really matter You don't really matter to me To which our Heavenly Father would say what? matter to me. They matter to me. It means, what degrade means, it means they don't make the grade. It means you get graded down. It means that you don't measure up. Whenever we start thinking that, what if God says, Dennis, you're degrading that person. What happened when you didn't measure up, Dennis? You didn't measure up to my standards, did you? No, oh God, I didn't. What did I do? You made it possible for me to measure up through your son, Jesus Christ, so to speak. You forgave me and did what I couldn't do for myself. That's right, Eunice. And that's what I want you to do for him, and that's what I want you to do for her. You see how this all ties together? Paul said, I want you to live in a different way. I don't want you to live like the pagans. You are required to live a different way. You're not called to treat people the way they treat you. You're called to treat people the way that I, the way Christ, has treated you. And so then Paul goes really practical again. How do we do this building stuff? He says in verse 32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind. Be kind. kind. Kind words are cool. It's not that hard to do. Be kind. He says, how else? Be compassionate. It's not just what you say. It's who you're saying it to and how you say things. Ever have people say things to you, and it's not so much what they say, it's how they say it? You know, like, do they say it in a condescending way? they say it in an arrogant way? they say it to you like you're stupid? they say it to you like you're a kindergartner? No offense to kindergartner you know, they say it to you like you're their private servant that needs to jump at their every limb. Don't you don't have people talk to you like that? The way you say things matters. It matters. Be kind. Paul keeps on going. He says, make sure you forgive each other. And we're like, well, how much should we forgive, Paul? He's like, well, you're going to be sorry you asked because I want you to forgive just like i forgive you just like Christ forgave you. That's how far I want you to take in forgiveness. You know the golden rule is do unto others as they have doing to you. But you could say there's like a platinum rule in scripture to do to others what God and Christ has done for you. That's a totally different way of looking at it. And again, can you imagine what would happen in our families if that's the way we approach things? Can, we, can you imagine what would happen in our relationships if that was the norm? Saying, look, allow, allow God's grace to shape you and form you. Don't be a fish now. Don't let any wholesome words come out of your mouth. Get rid of the bitterness and all those types of things. So there's some handles here this morning. I make a couple suggestions. The first is a couple questions. What do you need to work on? need to work? Where do you have work to do? And then the second question I think is a question that we don't always think about a whole lot. Who needs you to go to work? Who needs you to get working? I don't think we always think about, oh, that's just the way I am, I don't care, that kind of attitude we have sometimes. But there are people that really need you to go to work, and it's probably your family that needs you to work on what you say. Because it's crazy that it's our family, the people that we love the most, that we talk to the worst. And they need for you to get to work. They need me to get to work. Our families need that. can I just be like super direct with the dads for just a minute? No place in your family's life. I know sometimes we think we're, we're, we're making our boys tougher or something. We're not making them tougher. We're making them resentful. And mom's the same thing. You're, you're being sarcastic and demeaning with your children. You think, well, I'm just making them tough. That's the way the real world is. No, you're not. You're creating resentment. Paul's like, knock it off. Get rid of it. Speak as your heavenly father speaks to you and over you. That's the way you speak. And then I want to challenge you to do something else. And this, this is so easy. Just memorize this little phrase of this verse here. Let no unwholesome talk, let no unwholesome words, however you want to do it, come out of your mouth. I mean, you can memorize that before you walk out of here. Let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Now, you'll have to go over a couple more days so it can become part of you or you won't remember it. But wouldn't that be great if we all just kind of memorize that and then God would bring it to our minds? And then one more thing. I want you to do something. This week, I want to challenge you to get a pad of paper. Or just a paper. Did you know they still make paper? Did you know that you can still get these? And they still sell these pens did you know that pens and paper you can still get these you can still use them
1: so this is not an
0: electronic device thing this is like paper pen or pencil something that you can write physically on put in your hands tear off because here's what I want you to do with it I want you to get a pen or a pencil or a piece of paper you have to sit down somewhere And I want you to kind of start thinking through this What was taken from me that I'm trying to get back, or get people to pay me back? What was taken from me at my other job? What was taken from me in my first marriage? What was taken from me growing up? And I find myself trying to extract that from other people. What is, do I feel is owed to me, and I'm trying to get that from somebody else? Just start thinking through that. It has to do with that bitterness thing that we were talking about. Just write those things down. And what I want you to do, you write it down, then I want you to tear it out. I want you to wad it up. I want you to put it in the trash can. And if you live in an apartment, go down the two flights of steps or whatever. Carry it to the dumpster in a trash bag. Run the cats off or whatever so you open the lid and throw that bag in you. Get rid of it. Release them off. If you live in a subdivision, same thing. Whatever day the trash people come in your neighborhood, walk that bag of trash up with this thing in it, let it go. Get rid of it. That's the challenge. Get rid of the bitterness and let no unwholesome thing in you you prefer.